because he's faithful. That's why we stand. That's why we move. That's why we breathe. Thank you all so much for leading our hearts in praise on this morning. I'm going to go ahead and give an intro before I give the greeting because some of us weren't here last week when I gave the explanation on my expectation. So you understand I'm going to say good morning. My expectation is that you say good morning back to me. Nothing wild and crazy. However, I have found that sometimes people don't respond. So I am just paving the way so that it can be hearty, it can be full. I don't care if there were three people. You have to be louder than me. <laughs> if not, we're just going to do this thing again. Good morning, family. Good morning. We'll go with it. That was, that was solid. I uh, could feel a little bit more excitement, but we'll do that next Sunday. Uh, my name is Michael Darbuz. I'm one of the pastors of this great faith family, and I'm grateful to be here with you on this morning. Uh, if I haven't met you, I pray that uh, I'll have the opportunity before uh, the day is over. If you have been with us before, then you know where we are and you know where we're going. If you haven't, I want to pause for just a moment to do something a little bit different. So if you have a cell phone, I ask that you take it out for a moment. I know. It's like, wait a minute. We're being asked to take our cell phones out only for a moment, and then I'm going to ask you to silence it and put it away. But for a moment, if you can, take your cell phones out uh, for me and just entertain me. Uh, I figured that everybody should have at least one good picture of their pastor. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <clears throat> if you are new to this faith family, I ask that everybody would just point their cameras up this way. <laughs> And take a picture of this QR code. And if you have been here for 10 years, well, we haven't been here for 10 years. But if you've been here for six years, then just do it for the sake of those who are new so no one feels left out like, wait a minute, who's the new person? And what I'm going to ask that you do is that if you are new with this faith family on this morning, that you would fill that out at your leisure, not right now, uh, right after, because now you have to silence and put your cell phone away. And if you did want to get a picture, I'm not mad at you. But uh, we just want to get your information so that we can reach out and thank you personally for taking the time to join us, uh, to worship with us, and also to, to answer any questions that you may have about what God is doing in this place. It's our heart's desire that this would not just be uh, a moment in time, but that you would be able to get connected and be a part of a faith family. And so if that's here, praise God. If you're new to the area and you're still feeling your way around, then uh, we have people that have been a part of this community for a long time, and maybe we can point you some places. But I genuinely believe that everybody should be connected in a Christ-centered community. So we want to do that for you, whether that's here or someplace else. We're kingdom-minded, uh, but we certainly don't want you to go unseen. So thank you for entertaining that for just a moment. As uh, we were sharing and as Zach said, we've been going through a mini-series as we have been walking through Matthew 28. And I don't know if we have the uh, slide for our mission uh, statement, but our mission is, is very straightforward, making disciples because he lives. And what we have been doing is making sure that we understand what it really means to make disciples. And so this abbreviated mission statement comes from what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And we have walked through the first two commandments that make this commission so great. And today we're going to walk through the last 
commandment that makes this commission so great. And so before we do that, I ask that you would join me in a word of prayer. And again, I told you that this is not just for show. Sincerely from my heart, I'm asking that you pray. And specifically this morning, I have two things that I'm going to ask that you pray for me for. Uh, One, my heart is overflowing with joy because I have two families here they didn't know I was going to do this, so I won't ask them to stand, but uh, Doug and Anna and Mike and Nancy, uh, they have been families that have walked alongside us since we have come to Houston, Texas, and they're the reason why we're even here at Risen North now. They have graciously prayed for us and walked with us and released us from what we were doing in Langham Creek and said, no, we see God doing a work there. And they have graciously said, go. And they have even come today to worship with us and show their support. So I'm humbled and grateful for that. And so my heart overflows with joy in that. And at the same time, my heart is broken Because this morning at about 5.30, I got a text message. I haven't even been able to talk to our household about this. Uh, And I've been told about a significant loss in our family, not biological, but our faith family. Some, uh, a couple that I've been walking with through marriage and preparing them and walking with them. And uh, they just suffered a significant loss. And I learned of that, that they were in the hospital at 5.30, that they got news at 7.30. And And so I haven't been able to speak with them or meet with them yet, but that is a weight that I carry right now. And so I imagine just like me, we don't walk in here with, oh, well, it's just been a smooth and easy life, right? But we know that God is sovereign, and as we sing, he's faithful. And so as we prepare to go into the word, my prayer is that as we pray, that we would ask God to open our hearts and our minds so that we could receive what he's speaking. And again, that you would pray for me that the Lord would quiet my soul, that I can be a vessel that he can use for his glory. So I ask that you would join me in a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful, grateful that you are faithful, that you never change. Even though in our lives it seems like the one consistency is change. Things sometimes seem to be well. And things at times seem to be broken and hard. But because of your faithfulness, we come. And we sing songs of praise to you because you are worthy. We listen to your word because we know that you are faithful. So, Father, would you speak to us on this morning, a word that will teach us, that will correct us, that will rebuke us if needed, that will train us up in righteousness, that we can continue to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Matthew 28. Verses 16 through 20 read. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this final commission that Jesus gives to the 11 disciples that have been walking with him for the past three years has three commandments that make this final commission what we call a great commission. On June 13th, we unpacked some of what it means to make disciples of all nations. And what we learned was that Jesus was sending these 11 disciples out to the least and the lost to be witnesses of his great news. And as people heard the word and received it, they would receive Christ. And by receiving Christ, they became disciples and they would receive the Father. And then last week, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we looked to unpack the second commandment, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what we saw last week was that this is a ceremonial cleansing, a dipping under into water to demonstrate that not only do we identify with Christ, but Christ identifies with us, and we are in relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. If you are a covenant member of this great family, I encourage you, if you haven't listened to those two sermons, please go back and listen to those sermons so that you can really walk with us and unpack this, because where we're getting ready to go over the next several years that the Lord would have us to be a family on this earth to advance the gospel, you'll need to understand this text because we're not going to apologize and we're also not going to scale back. We are here to push back the darkness in the name of Jesus Christ. And what we want to see today is this third and final commandment, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, in order to understand what Jesus is speaking to his disciples, we have to unpack a few of the words in this last phrase, in this last command. The word teaching literally means cause to learn. So Jesus is telling his disciples to cause someone to learn something. And he makes it abundantly clear who he's talking about and what he expects to be taught. He says, teach them. This them are the disciples that have received the word of God. And the word disciples literally means a learner. And in the context of scripture, it means a true follower of Christ. So the 11 disciples are to teach these new disciples to observe all that I have commanded you is what Jesus is saying. And this word observe does not mean to look at intently. So they're not being told to just stare at the word. No, this word observe means to keep, to watch, to guard. And the NIV translates it to obey. We can simply say to do. So Jesus is making it explicitly clear. His expectation of the 11 disciples on this mountainside in Galilee that after they have witnessed to the least and the lost, they're to baptize them and then they're to teach them how to live like Christ. Now understand, Jesus didn't say make them do what I have commanded you. He said teach them how to live as I have taught you. 
Now, Jesus does not make it explicitly clear how this is to be done, but he didn't have to. Because for the past three years, Jesus had been walking with the disciples, showing them how to be disciples by teaching them what the Father told him. And so the disciples would know, do for others what I have done for you. Teach them what I have taught you. Now, we can go through the entire book of Matthew right now so that you can see how Jesus had done that. But in the interest of time, we're not going to walk through the entire gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But you could see it and unpack it, what Jesus did to teach the disciples, and now what the disciples would have to do to teach other disciples how to do all that Christ has commanded. So what we'll do in the interest of time is look at another disciple, Paul. He wasn't on this mountainside, but he did have an encounter with Christ, and he was sent out with the same commission, but to go to Gentiles and make disciples and baptize them and to teach them. And so if we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, what we'll see here are three components to transformative teaching. And Paul breaks it down, and I'm going to do everything that I can within me not to preach this thing right here for an hour. But this is a series in and of itself, but I'm just teasing it out so that we can see what the disciples were called to do by Christ so that we could understand what we are called to do as those who have been sent to make disciples. So I want to read for us verses 9 through 12 and then tease out these three things that we can learn so that we know how to teach other disciples to do all that Christ has commanded. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So here Paul, in speaking to the church in Thessalonica, is reminding them of how he taught them, how he walked with them as they were built up in the faith, as he taught them to be disciples so that they might walk as Christ walked. And the first thing Paul says is, I proclaimed to you the gospel. This word proclaim means to herald, to announce a message publicly and with passion, with purpose, convincingly, with conviction. So Paul is saying, I taught you. I shared the word of God with you. But not only did he share the word, he said you are witnesses to our conduct before you believers. He taught the word of God, and he also lived the word of God out before the believers in Thessalonica. So see, it wasn't just a lecture format. And something that we have to be fully aware of and careful of in our culture is that we're good with exchanging information. See, but true discipleship is not me just telling you what the word says. It's me also showing you what the word says. Jesus, when he said, come and follow me, he didn't say, come and read a few good books that I wrote. He said, no, come follow me. See where I lay. I love how the disciples had to ask Jesus how to pray. Hey, Jesus, you know that thing you do when you go away? Like, uh, and I think you, I don't know, you, you 
look up, you hold your hands. They're like, what's, what's that that you doing? He said, oh, you want to learn how to pray. Let me teach this how you pray. Yeah, John's disciples, they know how to do that thing. They had seen Jesus praying, and they wanted to do what Jesus did. Right, so it's not just the proclamation, it's also the demonstration. You need to come and do life with me. I need to do life with you, which is why you cannot truly walk in the fullness of God isolated in your home. Now, see, Michael, you're going to get yourself in trouble, but we just need to go here for about a few more minutes, right? Because we love technology, and I do too. Thank God for technology that we have been able to spend the last year or so uh, watching live stream so that we can connect because we weren't able to come together. But may we not be mistaken that we cannot do life through a screen, right? So at some point, if it were up to me, and it's not just up to me, but I say cut the feed, right? Because we need to be in community together. Right? As I've been walking in this uh, ministry, I heard some people saying, well, you know, I don't know. We're going to have to live stream from now on, and we're going to have to do online church. What in the world is that anyway? <clears throat> like, how do you do church online? That's an oxymoron. The church is connected. I can't connect through the screen, right? So it's great that we had it for a season, but that season's coming to an end. And when it does, I am more than happy to say, Zach, just go ahead and turn that camera right there off. All right, now, family. Right? And we need to do life together. So don't get too comfortable. Actually, I'm not talking. You're here. Don't get too comfortable in your living room. You need to be in the house. Right? Okay, so we see that. That's what Paul is saying. He proclaimed it and he demonstrated it. But then there's something else that Paul did that might make all of us just a little bit squeamish. Right? Because Paul didn't just teach it and demonstrate it. He also held the believers accountable to it. He said, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, we encouraged you, and we charged you. This word exhort is like a passionate plea, right? A cry out to your children to let's go and do this. It's like a coach in the pregame getting the team amped up so that they can get ready to go out and take the field. And now for some of you who haven't played football, you know, it gets a little bit silly because I don't know what you could say that would possibly cause someone to want to hit their head on a locker. That's just silly. You're supposed to go out and play football. Why are you about to give yourself a concussion before you go out on the field? But they would get so amped up, right? It's like, ah, let's go, right? That's the pregame speech, a passionate plea. We should leave here ready to go get it for God. Michael, just point me to an unbeliever. Jesus loves you. Get saved. It's not that quite that way. But we should feel that kind of stirring on the inside with this passionate Plea. But Paul didn't stop at the exhorting. He said, we encouraged you like a comforting call. You know, because every now and then it does get hard. And you need somebody to come alongside you and say, you know, Tiffany, I know that you're having a tough time out there and you're not playing the gap quite well and you, you're letting the, the forward get right by you and score. But it's all right. You know, you just got to get in. And you're teaching them and you're encouraging. Now, do, do girls slap each other on the butt and say, go out there and get it? <clears throat> They don't, I don't know why we do that, Ashley, you know what I mean? But we do, you know, it's like, good game, and then we just go out and get it. So, you know, but it's a comforting, it's a comforting pat, though, not a hard one, just to go out there and, and you can do it. Try it again, that comforting call, right? You need that as well. But here's where Paul, he has a third item on this list. He says, and we charged you. This word charged, it's a compelling cry. This we can see, like, let's go to the halftime where you haven't been maybe doing all your assignments. It's like, hey, listen, counting on you. 
Now, if you keep on falling out and not doing what you need to do, I'm going to have to put you on the side for a minute. You know, I've got to hold you accountable. Remember, this is your assignment. You need to do it. If you're not going to do it, then we're going to have to sit you down for a moment. Right? Because I need to make sure that you're doing what you have been called to do. So, see, Paul shows us how to teach, how to cause one to learn to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. You need to proclaim the word of God. You need to live out the word of God, and you need to hold other believers accountable to the word of God. I need to have a passionate plea. We need to live for God out in this community. We need to live like the body of Christ and love each other. I need to have a comforting call. I know that you get banged up and bruised up, but it's all right. God is with you. We can go out there and we can continue to fight the good fight of faith. But then I also need to have a compelling cry. It is absolutely unacceptable. Right? The Bible says it, not Michael. It says the word of God is good for teaching, training, rebuking, and teaching in righteousness. And we need all of these components And right now where I feel like we're getting a little weak in our walk is that we're not holding people accountable to what they say they believe to be true about God. And then the excuse that we give is, well, you know, that's not none of my business. Yes, it is. If that's your family, that's your business. right? Let me see your kid running around here acting. Listen, now I know your dad. You don't need me to go talk to him, do you? Like, oh, you can't touch my kid. Like, that's my kid too. Right? We in this thing together. Look, I, if you ever see Daniel, David, or Mika acting up, you don't wait to come and get me. You get them. Right? We, it's, a, it's a village. I know. See, and that's the, this is that 19, maybe 70 kind of teaching, but it shouldn't have gotten old. You know, where you got in trouble back in the neighborhood, and if you got caught by Miss Nancy on your way back to the house, and she got you some get right, and then you got home, and as soon as you got home, it's like, I heard you got in trouble with Miss Nancy. Man, I was hoping Miss Nancy didn't call. You know, and you at that point hoped that Miss Nancy kind of touched you up a little bit because then it would get a little bit softer at home. But if Miss Nancy didn't touch you up and you just got told on, it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long day. Right? It's a village mindset, not this Western culture. I'm isolated and in my own little bubble, and this is my world, and you can't penetrate my world. No, no. When we said that we are family, when we accepted Jesus Christ, we came into a familial environment and we're in this thing together. So I do you a disservice if I know that you are a believer and I see that you haven't been a part of this gathering for some time. And I didn't call you out like, hey, Brett, I know we brothers and you cool and all, but it's been three weeks, man. Where you been? I'm like, you can't ask Brett that. You know, he can, he can come and go as he pleases. Yes, he sure can, as long as he's not a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Lord has some expectations. And all I'm doing, as one who has been called by God to teach them, well, I got to hold you accountable. Not out of hate or discontent, but out of love. Right? Isn't it a terrible father that looks and sees their child about to touch the stove? And you look and say, oh, but they look so happy. So let me not say anything. No, you would say, oh, don't touch that. And, you, and if they did it again, then you would make sure that you let them know that they should not touch that. 
Now, we'll have some parenting lessons in a little bit, so I won't go too deep in on, on how to correct your shit. But, you know, you make sure they don't touch that because the stove is hot. That's good parenting. And then if you know they know and they're still doing it, well, then we got to change up. See, I'm not, my talking is ineffective. I now need to do something else to help give you incentive not to do that which is dangerous for you. That's just, that's just love. So like a father to his children, I make a passionate plea to you. A comforting call and a compelling cry to walk in a manner worthy of God. There's an expectation that as you are being taught that you would do something with that which you have learned. And Paul had this expectation, and we could see it by the commendation that he gives the church in Thessalonica in verse 13. It says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul is commending them because after having heard the word, which he proclaimed, which he lived out, and which he heard them accountable to, they received it, not as a word from man, but as it actually is, the word of God. And what do you do when you hear a word from the creator of the universe? Well, a wise person, the Bible says, would do it. A fool, not Michael, Jesus actually said this, a fool would hear it and not do it. So the expectation is after you hear the word of God proclaimed that you do something with this word. I had somebody uh, a couple of years ago that told me, Michael, I feel uncomfortable when you say that you are preaching under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I asked, well, why does that make you feel uncomfortable? Because I do not feel like I'm standing up here in my own strength because I'd have nothing to say. And what they said, the reason why is because then it seems like they have to do something with what's being taught. Now, the hard part, <clears throat> the hard part for me in that was this was somebody that for the past four months I was walking with through the eldership process. TV timeout. <clears throat> we got to pause. How can you possibly lead the people of God and care for the people of God when you don't believe in the authoritative word of God? You see, that's, that's the kind of things that we're talking about here. There's an expectation that you would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of God, that you accept this word. Oh, yes, I know, I know that you see me, I am not impressive. And I pray that I never would be impressive to anyone, but that you would hear the word and that you would receive it as it actually is, the word of God. And in receiving that, that we do not leave here the same way we came in. But you have got to do something with this word. And Paul was not the only person who had this expectation that you do something with what you have been taught. We can read in a letter from John. John, who was one of the 11 that was on this mountainside in Galilee, who heard this command from Jesus to teach them to observe all that I command you. John writes in the first letter of John, chapter 2, we'll look at verses 3 through 6, the expectation that after having taught you how to do all that God is commanding, that you do this. 
Here's what the word of God reads. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, Jesus Christ. If we keep his commandments, pause right there. This word keep, and we're going to see it a couple of more times. It's the same word in Koine Greek that was translated to observe in Matthew. So John is communicating the same thing. Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And now John here in this letter is saying that he expects you to keep all that Christ has commanded. So same word here, keep his commandments. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep, does not observe, does not watch, does not guard, does not properly maintain his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. See, it's hard to read just straight through the scriptures because it's so rich. I mean, you, do, you, do you see this? If I said this, you would get up and walk out. Or maybe not. You might just say, you know, I'd be embarrassed, but I'm not coming back. So I just need you to understand that I'm not saying this. It's the word of God that says this. If you don't do what God says and you say you know him, you're a liar. John, you can't speak that way to people. You have to be gentle. You let them know it's okay. Just do whatever you want. God still love you and accept you. Yes, he will still love you, but he's not going to accept you. Not if you come in with your mess. You have to come in through the door. And Jesus said, I am the door. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And John says, amen. If you love him, keep his commandments. And if you don't, you're a liar. I don't know what to tell you. First John. First John says it. Now, Michael, read on, Michael, verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected, is complete, made whole. By this we know that we are in him. How? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says... That I have received Christ because someone came and shared the gospel with me. And I have been baptized into this family. Will also then do as God has said. And walk in the same way which Christ has walked. This is not an option. This is not a conversation. This is not a democracy. This is a theocracy. You will do what God says or else you are not walking with God. Now, I want to make sure that we unpack this in just a moment. But before we get there to looking at what it means to walk like Christ, we have to understand that Jesus expected this. Right. So when Jesus said, go make disciples, that was the first commandment in the final commission. He gave two following commands that were explicit commands to the 11 disciples, but they had inferred commands to the future disciples, right? Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Explicit command to the 11, you need to go and baptize. Inferred command to all future disciples, you need to be baptized. This is not a dunking party. I should not have to chase you down and throw you into the pool. No, I'm called to baptize you. So I extend the invitation, come, follower of Jesus, and enter into this ceremonial cleansing. And as a follower of Christ, you come, and you are baptized, identifying with Christ's death, and coming out the water, identifying with his resurrection, and you walk with Jesus. 
And then the second command to the disciples that came, teaching them to do all that I command you. Well, if you're going to teach, Jesus has the expectation that when you've been taught that you do that. And we could, again, go through all of Matthew and see that while it wasn't explicitly communicated in the final commission, that Jesus had clearly communicated that throughout his earthly ministry. He said, if you love me, you will have to take up your cross, deny yourself daily, and come on after me. Renounce everything. Not some things. Everything. Well, but can I hold on to everything? Let it all go and come and follow me. He expected this of his disciples. So then the question is not, well, but do I have to? See, that's the five-year-old. The only question is, how do I walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? And that's why I enjoy being with this community because you really ask these great questions, and I know that you're just eager to hear how you walk this out. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there because we're going to read a little bit of a lot, just about all of Ephesians 4. I shared with you last week that if someone had accused me of saying, you know, Michael, you pray too much, I'm good with that. If someone should say to me, hey, Michael, you know what? You read the Bible a lot. That is such a, thank you so much for that compliment. Yes, let's read the Word of God. The Word of God is good all by itself. And so if we can get this truth in our souls, then we can walk like Christ walked. So I'm going to read from verse 17 to chapter 5, verse 1. But first, let me read verses 1 and 3 through 3 of Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And you say, well, what does this walk look like? Because it's clearly not a literal walk because you're not going to see Jesus' stride. But there is a way that we're to live. That's what this word walk means, to live, to conduct yourselves in a particular way. And I'm just going, I'm really going to look to just read through this so that we can see this picture clearly of how we as disciples are to live because this is the teaching of God. Verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, you've been taught, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of of one another. Be angry 
and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the way that we walk. This is how we are to live life on this earth, tenderhearted, kind, forgiving, and just sum it all up, walk in love like Christ walked. So we are to walk as well. Now, you may have saw something in that list where you're like, okay, hmm, corrupting talk. I need to, I need to check that. You know, my prayer is that as we were reading through that, the Holy Spirit impressed something on your heart that you will take from here and say, okay, it's not about flawlessness, it's not about perfection, but I'm going to intentionally take another step because this is what God said do. Not, oh, but it's hard, but I don't know if I like, no, that none of those things should even enter the mind of a true follower of Christ. God, you said it, that settles it, I'm going to do it. Done. That's how we are to live. Right? And so we see here in this final command of this great commission, you are in one of these two camps or you are in both of them. You are either one who is teaching others to do all that God has commanded and or you are one who is being taught and walking in the commands that God has commanded. But it's not an option. If you are a follower of Christ, will I do what God said? Yes, you will. And allow me to close quickly because I feel some rising up in the charging part. But not because of what I've just seen here. Just what I've seen in the body nationally at least. There, there needs to be a charge, people of God, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. There has to be. And so what I can promise you as a covenant member is that like a father to his children, I am not going to ignore sin if I see it. Right? If I know you and I love you and I don't see you here, I'm not going to assume that you just quit. But I'm going to call you up. <clears throat> just say, hey, how you doing? I miss you. Oh, yeah, no, we were on vacation. Okay, cool. cool. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. But there's an expectation, and not because I made it up, but because of what God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves, right? If I see you speaking in a way that is not reflective of the love of Christ, then I have to say something, right? Because of the love 
that I have for you, like a father to his children. I'm not just going to sit there and say, oh, well, it's none of my business. You can just go ahead and keep on having that corrupting talk. No, no. We see something, we have to say something. We just can't sit here on the sidelines and hope someone gets it on their own. No, share it with them. Teach them. Walk with them. Right? So I pray that we hear this and that we are challenged, that we are charged in some capacity. Right? Wherever you are, if you're older, then there are clearly some people younger that need you. I spoke to a couple of uh, couples that just had newborns. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Don't tell them I said that. They, they, they're working it out. No, but they, you know, how helpful would it be for those seasoned believers who have raised and launched out children to come alongside those who are still trying to figure out, like, do I, do I turn, like, how do I get the diaper on? <clears throat> how great would it be if we had some people in this body that said, hey, you know what? They're looking to get the youth loved on and poured into. As a 20, 30-year-old, I have something I can offer the youth. Right, so let me serve in the youth. Right, it shouldn't be, hey, Michael, we don't have anybody in the youth, so can you come and do it? Absolutely, I'll do it. But I'm looking at a whole lot of people that look like they should be able to pour into a few youth. Like, why are we struggling to try? See, okay. Why are we struggling, though? Right, because we're getting comfortable instead of realizing what disciples do. Disciples walk like Christ. And when you think about Jesus and how he lived out his life and what he did for your life and for my life, I'm not a sideline saint. That's not a real thing. We are in the trenches. Roll up your sleeves and let's go get it for God. That's my passionate plea. My comforting call is if you haven't, we love you. It's okay. Just come on. My compelling cry we need you. We need you to walk this thing out and not just sit on the side and say, woe is me. If you're hurting and going through, then you should be getting help. But we need the body of Christ fully engaged, making disciples, proclaiming the word, demonstrating the word, and holding each other accountable to the word. If we do that, not only will the love of God be felt here, but we will impact this community and push back the darkness in the name of Jesus Christ. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. And behold, God is with us always, even to the end of the age. Let's go make a difference in the name of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for calling us to yourself and for raising us up so that we can be disciples who make disciples and invite them into the family and teach them how to walk like you like Jesus. Lord, I pray that in this hour that you would touch each and every heart, that the conviction that's felt would be encouraging, that we know we're still alive and well and we're being called.
that the comfort would be real and that the passionate plea would be received, that we would go and live out this faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We thank you, Lord.